The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. How are you holding up with the whole uh, Corona apocalypse? We're fine. I'm walking the dog a lot. Lots of social isolation. Uh, only one of us leaves the house at, at the time, at a time, uh, and, and we're, we're, we've got lots of toilet paper. <laughs> I saw a guy who had done the math on those giant, you know, crates of toilet paper and how many times you'd have to use the facilities for it to be a viable thing. And the answer was you'd had to you'd have to go poo 147 times per day. If you need 144,000 sheets of toilet paper to last you through a 14-day quarantine, uh, then you should have seen a doctor long before this broke out. All right, stand by. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now available in your grocer's dairy case. Ask for yours today. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Corona Apocalypse 2020 and artificial intelligence is keeping an eye on it. We'll introduce you to Dr. Benny Gradwall of Cognovi Labs. While you're stuck at home like everybody else, broadcasters accustomed to reporting live have nothing to do. But one enterprising rugby commentator has a solution. Plus, why I am more than happy to be home from work this week thanks to Half-Life and virtual reality. Knock yourself out, dude. Knock yourself out. Oh, it's going to be so exciting. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. I don't know if you know this, not being Italian, but um, when they closed down Italy, Hornhub made its service completely free to anyone who was in Italy. I, I thought it was oh, free I to didn't Italy, know that. but apparently, <laughs> apparently there's there's more than just Pornhub. There's Pornhub Premium. So apparently, yes. And I keep saying apparently, and the more I say apparently, the more suspicious it sounds. <laughs> Yes. Or that six-year-old apparently kid who was interviewed at the state fair. What did you think about the ride? It was great. And apparently, I've never been on live television before, but apparently sometimes I don't watch the sh- I don't watch the news because I'm a kid and apparently every time, apparently Grandpa just gives me a remote after we watch the Powerball. It's the Powerball. <laughs> Tell me about the ride. What did you think about the ride? Well, it was great. Why? Because apparently you're spinning around and apparently every time you get dizzy. I, I got it right here. 120 million people use Pornhub every single day, they say. Um, and, and they describe it as as a daily routine. It's like, ugh, time to go on the Pornhub or something. <laughs> I guess so. So with more people self-isolating, working from home, and stocking up on household essentials, they decided to uh, dig into the details. Here's your worldwide traffic changes compared to a regular day. As of the most recent telling, um, the uh, world's most popular, or one of the world's most popular uh, adult websites, somebody corrected me and said that it is not the, it is one of the, and 11.6% increase 
over an average day. And you can really get a sense as to when people started to get concerned about it. It was the 12th of March. So we saw on the 12th of March a 7% increase thanks to the Italians largely that they had made this available. And then when you look at Italy specifically, (laughs) here's your spike. (laughs) 57% increase over an average day. Listen, you're, you're trapped at home. Uh, you can't go out. Uh, but everyone else is home, too. At least you've got an internet connection. Well, exactly. If the internet goes down, you're out of luck. And even today, by and large, it's still 32.6% uh, above normal, above average. Uh, and then apparently they offered this, the same service in uh, Spain and France on the 16th. Uh, but as you can see here with a 32% increase, it didn't really do a hell of a lot. Oh, uh, by the way, the most popular... Yes, pornography website is something called Live Jasmine. I've never heard of Live Jasmine. <laughs> I was just about to punch it into the machine, but I yeah, probably not a good idea. That's why we have incognito mode. When when I had stumbled across the Pornhub Insights page on coronavirus, I had fired off an email to our ace producer, Vanessa Azoli, saying, hey, remember when we had the Pornhub people on? Do you think you can get them back to talk about this? And I included the link. She replies back with, I just got a visit from IT. I had accidentally sent <laughs> To her home, uh, to her work email address, um, not to her Geeks and Beats email address, and their system immediately caught it, and someone literally, she said, got up and walked over and talked to her about it. Oh, that's funny. That's really funny. Uh, Here, by the way, this is the percentage change in traffic compared to an average day in uh, France since they made um, the service free for those who want to spend, who don't want to spend the money. In Spain, 61.3% above normal. Well, again, the Americans, uh, still pretty high, too. Yeah, well. But get this. You know, here's Canada. Canadians are consuming more than the Americans are. We're 7.2% above normal. And we're only starting the social distancing. I, I, I little, uh, The little one and I went up for a walk uh, just to get out of the house. And we found ourselves on the Danforth. And it wasn't at all busy, which was great to see. But people weren't really giving each other a wide berth. And I think it's about time we shut the whole damn country down. Uh, that they're doing it around here. I'm walking the dog down the street, and I come across somebody coming the other way. Um, they, you know, there's a ten foot uh, circle that we walk around each other. That's what I would think we would all be doing, but apparently we weren't. Uh, I'm looking at live Jasmine here. Uh, you sure you want to be doing that? Well, uh, incognito mode. Nobody will know. All cam girls, from what I gather. Uh, hey, I bet they're doing just as good a business as they would have been without the coronavirus, considering they are already working from home. Or, or working from the library, depending on the girl. Have you met Nick Heath? This is uh, the no. uh, rugby yeah. commentator who, of course, because in the UK they shut down all live sporting matches, doesn't have anywhere to go for his day job. So instead, he's decided he's going to start commentating on the real world, like the International 4x4 Pushchair Formation Final, live. So this, the International 4x4 Pushchair Formation Final. And, uh, well, we've got the upfront pair, of course, so Johansson and Eriksson from Sweden, and they're in with the Brits here uh, in Smith and Black, and they're doing particularly well of staying quite close with them around this very delicate bend. Of course, they're pretty familiar with this course, and, uh, well, that's what saw them become European champions just a few months ago. Great to see them back. I feel extraordinarily bad for anybody in the sports business because there is no sports 
What are you going to talk about? I mean, if you're TSN, Sportsnet, and all the rest of them, what are you going to talk about? Thank God we have the Tom Brady situation, because otherwise there would be nothing to write about. Now, I, I'm not a, an immunologist, and I don't play one on TV, but I'll tell you right now, I don't think any of us are getting back to normal until at least September. Oh, I, I totally agree. September, October, for sure. And then we run the risk of having this virus rebound like it did in 1919, 1920, where we see a little bit of it or hit in the spring, disappear a little bit over the summer, and then come back with a vengeance in the fall. Now, the, the difference is that we don't have World War I, uh, which helped communicate a lot of this disease back then. We have better medical, we got a better hand, handle on the on the medical end of things, and we're being pretty proactive when it comes to uh, heroic measures right now. So maybe it won't be as bad as, as that. Hands, washing hands, reaching out, don't touch me. talking about the coronavirus panic index. Have you seen this? I did. As a matter of fact, if you remember, I'm the one that forwarded it to you. Oh, that's right. We, we, we have been flooded with corona-related material over the last week or so that I am just losing track of where all of this is coming from. So why did you want to talk to this guy? Well, I, again, this idea that there seems to be different levels of panic in different parts of the world. It's understandable what's going on in places like uh, China and Italy and Spain and, to a certain extent, the United States. But it's also interesting to see what's going on in places like South Korea and Singapore, where they seem to have things under control. Even India doesn't have a big panic index right now. So I'd like to know how this is actually um, calculated and how it's graphed. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's look at it now. This is the coronavirus panic index for the world, and the world panic score is presently set at 66. And we can see Greenland doesn't seem to be too concerned. The Americans seem to be more concerned than us, and that's really not much of a surprise, I suppose. No, uh, they, they are way behind on, on the preparedness and on action. So, And they don't have universal health care, which is an issue simply because there are a lot of people that are going to be walking around with the virus who don't want to get tested or can't afford to take work off. So, uh, you know, they're not spending the $3,200 or whatever it is for, for a coronavirus test. So it's, it's 3,200. That's yeah. I read it in the New York times. The guy decided that he was, he was an hourly worker and uh, he went, if this was in New York, New Jersey uh, decided that he'd better get tested. He went and uh, then he was presented with a bill for $3,200. Wow. Yeah, there, there was that uh, video making the rounds of uh, a reporter asking British people how much they thought a variety of standard things like diabetic medication, asthma medication cost in the United States. My little Ventolin inhaler, my little puffer that uh, Hollywood uses to denote the nerd character. A hundred dollars. Yeah, you're pretty close. It's a bit more. 120. 250 to 350. For an inhaler? Mm. Yes. Man, so if you're poor, you're dead. How much are you yeah. paying for it? Ventolin, uh, I have no idea. I'm probably paying $10 as the copay on it every time I get a new one. 
But if it was $500, that would be remarkable. Uh, well, yeah, insulin spiked uh, in the U.S. too. I, I can't remember what it, it was. Insulin and what was it? EpiPens. Yeah, exactly. So let's look back at, at this, this panic COVID index. So again, 66 uh, is the world panic score. The Americans are a little more. They've got the panic score of 75 right now. And um, the Cognovi Emotion AI says that among the emotional words, uh, school, no surprise there. And of course, school enclosed. Uh, I've got the little one who got the extended March break. Uh, the kids were supposed to go back to school on Monday, but it's now two additional weeks beyond that. I don't see them going back to school at all this year. No, I hope not. I hope that's not the case because, uh, I mean, that's, I feel bad for kids in grade 12. I mean, they won't have a proper end to their high school year or their high school career. Yeah. And, you know, well, uh, same thing with people in, 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 in universities. Um, I know a lot of people that have gone and picked up their kids from the dorms because the universities have closed down. They're coming home. They don't know whether or not they're going to have exams. They don't know if they're going to have their graduation. It's, it's pretty weird. Let's get a sense as to how this Corona Panic Index works in the first place. So uh, joining us now uh, with uh, a better understanding as to how it works is uh, the man behind it. He's the chief executive officer of um, Cognovi Labs, uh, and uh, he joins us now from his office in uh, New York. Dr. Ben Gradwall joining us now. Thank you. Hey, Michael. Hey, Alan. How do you uh, distill everything down to a score? I'm fascinated by maps, and I just want to know how you do this. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredibly interesting. So what we do is, uh, we, you know, Cognovi Labs is a predictive analytics company at that intersection between machine learning and behavioral psychology. And what we do is we extract the underlying emotions from online conversations and then translate those key emotions into behavioral signals, and that gives you a small set of scores, and one of them is what we call the panic score. So this is based upon a machine learning system that allows you to extract from social media these individual words, but you must have to put individual weight on individual words because not all words are equal. That's absolutely right. And so what you're referring to, Michael, is what's called in our industry a lexical approach where you say, okay, certain words um, are associated with certain emotions, whether it's joy or anger or fear in this case, or disgust, um, we do it a little bit different. We do it differently because when you talk in social media or you talk in blogs or in discussion forums, there's a lot of slang and curses and emojis, and so context is important. And if context is important, you really have to train a machine, so what's called machine learning. And so we have a supervised machine learning where we train a system essentially to read and understand emotions the same way human beings would. So you read something and say, ah, oh, this person was happy. This person was fearful. This person didn't show emotions. And so we train our system to do that in context, and that gives us uh, a better weight of what kind of emotions are there. I remember many years ago, Google used search analytics to determine flu outbreaks across the United States. So this is taking it to another level, is it not? It's a completely different approach. So what Google did, which is also fascinating, is to look at the amount of search terms coming up when people talk about, oh, I have a headache, I have a flu, I have a head cold. And according to that, create a map based on the searches in searches. Um, so that gave you that flu map. 
if you look at social media, you look at online conversations, you could do something similar. You could look at the amount of chatter there is around the coronavirus, around coronavirus in certain areas. But what it really gives you is only the, the level of chatter. Now, the level of chatter or the, the, the level, the volume of conversation doesn't really tell you much about the emotionality, the panic, the fear, uh, the social impact. It just talks about, yeah, people talk about it. Now, here's what's so interesting with us as human beings. 70 to 90% of decisions we make day in, day out are made by a subconscious mind based on emotions. And that's in general. So when we go out and buy sneakers or we travel on an airline or we vote uh, in an election, it's by and large based on emotions. It's always there. There are, you know, we have a couple of uh, Nobel Prize laureates who got the Nobel Prize in Behavioral Economics, Behavioral Finance, based on that. What's unique in a crisis is that now everyone knows about it. Everyone understands this this parallel path of those parallel worlds of, on one hand, having the facts, like how many people get infected, how how severe is it, versus the perception, the emotionality. And so talking about it isn't enough. You really have to understand what part of that conversation is emotional and actually changes, changes behavior or provides trust on, and has an emotional impact versus the ones which is just chatter. What do we do with this information? Now that we know that there are certain places more anxious than others, what, is, what sort of useful information can we distill from that? Yes, uh, and that's uh, that's incredibly important. And I don't know, I, I live in New York, so uh, our governor, Governor Cuomo, gave a press conference yesterday, and about 25 minutes in, he said, look, the impact of the coronavirus pandemic will have a huge, will be multifold. One of them, obviously, will be economics, uh, the economic activities and, and GDP in general uh, will have a lot of personal impact, but also it will have an impact on our mental health in general, of the population. And unfortunately, and that's his word, we don't have a Dow Jones social index to measure that. So the answer is, the first part, if you want to change something, is to measure it. We have that. We call it the panic index. You can call it the emotionality or the social index, but it does the same. It measures the emotionality and and people's fears by topic, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's employment around coronavirus, maybe it's around staying at home or, or homeschooling uh, related to coronavirus. And what's important is not just to see how the fear spiked in over the last several weeks, but also see when it turns down and the healing starts. So that's the first part, what you do with it. So before we move into the, the next part, which I think are, are particularly tied to predicting pandemics and using um, machine learning to make that possible. Where is the artificial intelligence in this? Because everything I understand about AI tells us that we really don't have true AI yet, but we do have algorithms and machine learning. So where are we in that advance in the technology? Yeah, I mean, all the AI comes in, in different uh, levels. There's the weak, there's the very strong we are still at the very weak level, which means that we're trying to have systems replicate how human beings behave and make decisions. It cannot do it on its own. It can't be creative. It can't do more than that. So all that thoughts about cyborgs and, uh, and you know, the strong AI 
is many, many years down the road. AI today is really under having um, machine learning capabilities to find either hidden patterns, which you otherwise wouldn't see. And that's usually done in, in an area which is called unsupervised machine learning, where you let the system figure out if there are certain patterns, or you, you train a system to replicate what we as human beings do just faster, in many cases, much better. That's called through supervised machine learning. So you train a system. In our case, we train the system to not just understand how people talk, the free-flowing conversations, a lot of slang and curses and emojis, but also the emotionality, which is much more hidden than actual words are. So then at the end of the day, you're not so much predicting pandemics as you're predicting the emotional reaction to it. Um, yes, although in many cases, because we measure the emotions and human behavior, because people make decisions based on emotions, we often see that the emotionality changes before the actions actually happened. So in the case of pandemic, um, we heard out of China uh, back in December 2019 that there are some cases and the coronavirus comes up. But, you know, in the United States, if you look at the, at the media, there was really less conversations, especially in social media. People were not concerned yet. We, however, received our first indication that there is an issue on January the 23rd, many, many weeks before it really started overflowing and the market collapsed. We already saw that from an emotional point of view, the conversation changed. It didn't yet spike up, but emotionally there was a structural change and we started seeing some panic come in. And we will see that in the healing process as well, that we probably will see a change in the human emotions and the social and the panic index before things actually become very clear. Can you, based on the data that you have, can you extrapolate panic? Or is this too, uh, or are we too early into the crisis? Uh, what do you mean on the extrapolate, meaning understanding what's going to happen tomorrow? Can we predict yeah. anything from your panic index? Absolutely. And uh, let me give you one prediction we made just a week ago. You may remember that Sunday a week ago, the Fed came out uh, with a rate cut on Sunday uh, and the stimulus program. We looked at our technology and we saw that people were really talking about it, but emotionally they did not engage with that. And therefore it didn't really sink in. So we knew Sunday night that capital markets will open up on the downside and have a very bad day. Because if you think about the rate cut or, or Fed's uh, Federal Reserve's action, it has two objectives. One of them is to bring back the liquidity into the market, which has a medium long-term effect. And second, very importantly, to restore the trust. And we saw Sunday night, it didn't restore the trust. You can see that if you want to read about it, you can go to our website. We have a blog on cognovilabs.com, um, and you can read about it. So what you're saying is that when the U.S. president steps up to the microphone and does or does not reassure the American people, you could actually say for certain that the American people are or are not reassured. Absolutely. And we can say that by topic. We can say, look, they seem to be reassured about this po policy or this change but not about the other one. 
And so just looking at the amount of chatter will not tell you that. But if you look at the amount of emotionality and our specific emotional impact or panic score, um, you will see that. Well, it's funny you should mention this. Well, maybe not so funny. But uh, Sunday night, 6.30 Eastern Time, watching NBC News. Trump is doing his daily update on the coronavirus situation. And my wife is, is on the iPad in the other room. And as soon as Trump starts speaking, she sees Dow futures drop based on the fact that this was all time for when the uh, markets open in Asia. So uh, it's, it's interesting. He, he says it there and it goes to hell over there. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, markets are connected and, uh, you know, the U.S. equity markets weren't open for another, whatever it is, 15 hours where the Asian market was. And, uh when we look at our technology, we saw the spike starting to happen between 5 and 6 p.m. when people started talking, and immediately we saw um, a strong uh, reduction in our emotionality score. So clearly it didn't, do, it didn't do the job. Can you explain to me the fear around toilet paper? Yes, <laughs> and we actually have a blog on that as well, uh, which we which we wrote about last week. Uh, fear about toilet paper is an issue of control. If you think about it um, from a psychological point of view, the unknown creates an enormous amount of fear and anxiety. And the more you can provide facts and insight, the more people start feeling that they, their life is back in control. In the absence of that, you try to get something which you feel you have control about. And so you have this crisis, panic, purchasing and shopping, which doesn't make any sense. But it is a reflection of the fact that, you know what, I need something in my life. I can anchor around and I get control back. So I'm looking at your emotion allocation for crisis shopping. And on the 14th, it looks like the fear component shot through the roof. But at this point, the anger component has since subsided. To what do you attribute that? Yeah, that's uh, your anger and fear have a little bit different uh, implications. Anger is something which allows us to be active, correct? Um, anger is actually a good, um, good emotion to motivate you to do something. Fear, to some extent, paralyzes you, correct? If you stand in front of a grizzly bear, you are incredibly stimulated with fear, but you're probably not going to move. If you're angry, then you go on the barricade, you do something. If you're too much joyful, then you're probably not going to do anything. And so it's interesting that the human psychology and, and the complexity, how they play themselves out, how it plays itself out in real time and how we measure that. And so uh, what we can do is we can go beyond just the toilet paper. We can actually figure out what topics and what words generated certain emotions. And that's very important because you, you guys asked me, what do you do with our technology? So I told you, the first thing you can do is provide insights. And, and that's what Governor Cuomo asked for. Can we measure the mental health of the population by geography and see how it trends to make sure we have a better insight into the emotional response of the population towards coronavirus? But the second part, which is incredibly important, is because we can tell you what conversations are emotional and emotionally engaging, we can help the policymakers, the media, anyone 
who, who, is, who has a microphone to restore trust by making sure they use the kind of words and topics which do generate the right emotions. Yeah. So, I, I, okay. So if you, you can help the politicians craft their message based on words that you know will affect the whole panic situation. Absolutely. And we do that for corporations to help them. We call it through emotions-triggered marketing, improve their sales. But there's nothing which stands in in the way of not helping, uh, you know, the media or political um, figures to structure the conversation so actually emotionally engages with the population in a way that it restores the trust. Doctor, fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for your time and your insight here today. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Dr. Benny Gradwall is the CEO of Cognovi Labs. He joined us from New York. Take care. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. I'm actually kind of pleased that the world is largely shutting down on Monday, the 23rd, the day after we record this conversation, for one very specific geek reason. Why is that? Do you know what the video game Half-Life is? Uh, I've, yeah. So Half-Life is a video game about a dystopian future in which aliens come down and instead of being uh, helpful, they enslave humanity and get parts of humanity to help enslave the rest of humanity. And there are these little crab-like creatures that jump up onto your face and take over you and turn you into a zombie. What's the plan? We can get this weapon. What we and this game came out 20 years ago, but here it is coming up in VR only being released on Monday. And I remember when I played Half-Life on my uh, machines back 20 years ago, that this was incredibly scary stuff. Here's the big tower of uh, that the aliens are building. Valve is the company that, that made it. And it, you become so immersed in it, at least I did, when it was two-dimensional 20 years ago when they came out with basically the last version of it. But now they've come up with a, a sequel 20 years later that is only playable in VR. So I'm not going to be experiencing this creepy alien-like takeover of humanity in two dimensions, I'm literally going to be inside of it. Well, you uh, go right ahead. Please enjoy. Um, I will be binge watching Succession. I, I, I'm sort of at my limit right now on The World is Coming to an End on TV. So I'm wondering how this is going to play out for me because it's incredibly spooky. And I'm not really one for science fiction horror as a genre. But look at this. This is creepy AF. Okay, now... I'm going to give you something else to worry about so you can get out of your video game and back into the world of panic. Uh, a very large chunk of Yellowstone 
is about, about the size of Chicago is pulsing uh, because of magma in the you know below the uh, below yellow because of what um, magma. Even after they pay me the money, I'm still going to melt every city on the planet with liquid hot magma. Yeah. So the they it stopped pulsing for the time being, but uh, the whole area was going up and down and up and down. And it's just a matter of time before it blows and we all die. Wow. The trailer for April 2020 looks off the hook. <laughs> Please enjoy. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.